Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Changing the Climate, a show where we talk about the changing world around us and how we can make it better. Brought to you by Climate Change Realty. The only real estate brokerage that donates 50% of its net commissions to 501c3 nonprofit organizations dedicated to fighting climate change. Kip, great to meet you, man. Thanks so much for taking some time to come on the show. Looking forward to the chat. Same here, Ethan. Appreciate it. You got it, man. You know, we always like to get the podcast started with a little bit of background on who you are and how you got to be doing what you're doing at the current moment. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to be as quick as I can because, uh, you know, uh, I guess it hasn't been that long a life. Um, you know, I, I I come from a family of, of doers who, who have always sort of wanted to figure out how to affect change in the world. Um, and so from the very, very, very young age, I felt like I needed to figure out what that was. And for so long, it was uh, ultimately going to be politics. And so I had a lens on on ending up in Washington and being involved in politics. And at a school, at a college, I did. I moved to D.C. Uh, I studied diplomatic history and I thought I was going to get into politics. But it was about winning and losing. Uh, it was not about ideas, um, which I guess is sort of intuitive. But I didn't realize that as much at the time. And then uh, I, I traveled abroad and moved abroad, did some international trade consulting, moved back to DC. And I said, this is my moment. And it was the same thing. And I started taking some night classes in film. And for me, it's, that's when it clicked. You know, storytelling is going to be the most effective way to disseminate important social ideas and affect change. So, and this is before the iPhone existed. Um, and, you know, so I wanted to make documentaries uh, to, to preach to the choir, to give the people that are passionate the new information that they needed and uh, the inspiration. And I also wanted to make feature films, you know, ro romantic comedies that were set in the context of something. So I, I moved to LA and went to graduate school here. And then out of school, I, I started a small little production company and I started directing and producing my first feature length documentary uh, called Inorganic We Trust. And we focused on sustainability. And it was really a solution-based film. You know, half of the movie provided solutions. We talked about school lunch programs and school gardens and rooftop farms. And, uh, and that really sent me on my way. And, and in order to fund those projects, those passion projects, I, I, I had a commercial production company and made a lot of commercials. Um, which again, if you told me I was going to move to LA to, to produce commercials, I would say, you know, this isn't for me. But it was incredible because uh, I got to sharpen a lot of skills, learn learn to shut down streets and fly helicopters around cities um, on somebody else's dime. So um, it was a great way to learn how to create production value. That's pretty cool. Um, so if you're, it sounds like your goal or your idea was to affect change in the world, obviously positive. I'm wondering what what point did you become disenchanted with politics and move more towards storytelling? What was like the impetus behind that? There are two, probably. Um, one was uh, I grew up in Georgia, and you know the fastest way to get into politics is in the office of uh, the people that are you know senators from your state, Congress folks from your state. Um, and, uh, I was not as politically aligned with the senators from my state. And I, I talked to a bunch of other, uh, offices to try to see if, if I could work in them. And I wasn't from those states and they only took, uh, young, young folks from those respective places. So there was a, there was an obstacle to getting in. And then furthermore, uh, the deeper I got that the more that it was clear that, um, there's a lot of compromises that go on 
outside of ideals. And, and there's a pragmatism there, and I understand that that's important. But um, I, I felt that you're also hitting a, a very specific audience. And I think that there's a, there's a broader audience and there's a broader context and there's different stages and steps and, and, and storytelling and filmmaking was that way. And, you know, as I said, this is also before the iPhone, you know, now, now that you have technology that's accessible, uh, you know, when we, we can talk about why short form is just incredible, but like you can reach a massive audience in, in a much faster amount of time. Yeah, that, that's fair. I mean, when you speak of barriers to entry, you would think that there would be, I don't know about barriers, but at least more competition for filmmaking and storytelling, because that seems like a lot more appealing and fun job than, than politics. I feel like that's like not popular these days, but I, I don't know. I mean, there's two perspectives. You know, one is what, what there's also been a change in graduate school. Uh, you know, so the, the folks that go to public policy schools at Harvard uh, they end up in banking um, instead of in public service, and uh, and I think we can we can all understand why that happens. Um, but you know, still, you, you, politics is 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 an important and desirable profession, and so they do get the best of the best, and it is hyper competitive. Um, but it's also politically oriented, so you know, it depends where you're from and, and what your beliefs are. And I agree with you. Look, I think when you talk about making movies. I think everybody has a movie idea. Everybody has a documentary idea. Everybody has a TV show idea. We all feel like we're living a movie every day. Um, and uh, But it also is a very hard pursuit to wrap one's head around, uh, especially before digital technologies and, and the accessibility of creating your own content. Yeah, well, let's talk about that before we get into what you're, you're doing now. I'm really wondering what the process is like to create a documentary from having the idea to actually releasing it because you've done it. So I'm just curious. I mean, look, there's a fundamental, fundamentally different process for creating a feature length documentary. Yeah. Uh, a feature length documentary is years and years um, because it's uh, the story is evolving and there are new puzzle pieces that you have to bring in and you have to do the production side where you film and then you have to do the post production side and the editing. And these are all different rewriting opportunities. You write it before you shoot it, then you write it when you shoot it, and then you write it again in, in the edit. And it can take years and years. Uh, it can be a house of cards that you build and you take out one piece and you put one in, it all falls apart. Um, the digital stuff is incredible because you can go from idea to distribution in a couple of days. Um, and each part of the process is shorter. So if you're creating a 10 minute doc, it's going to take exponentially more time than a, a one minute doc. It doesn't take 10 X more. It takes exponentially more. Uh, the story becomes more complicated and you add in more layers and themes and weaving them together is difficult. So if you can keep things shorter, um, you have less production time, you have less post-production time, and you can get it in front of people faster. Fair enough. How long did it take you to make in Organic We Trust? <laughs> uh, I mean, and then, so once you have the finished film, you have to get it distributed. Oh, yeah. So, uh, and there's a, there's a long, long process to do that as well. So uh, in Organic We Trust took just about two years. I think it was a sprint, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, sounds pretty quick. That produced, you know... 20 or 30, maybe 50, maybe 100 commercials in between all of those years to, to keep everything going. Um, and uh, and then, you know, th that movie came out 2011. And, you know, it's still playing. People are still seeing it, you know, and it, it's, a, it's a small, small independent documentary, but um, it definitely struck a chord. 
So past your pictures, um, most of the time you were spent making commercials. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Interesting. I think, look, I think what's incredible about storytelling today is we all have a phone. And, uh, you know, when I, I went to film school, so there was an era of pretentiousness when I left that, you know, you wanted to shoot and things needed to look a certain way. And then uh, years later in my career, I shot and or I produced the first Snapchat feature film. Um, and we shot it vertically on an iPhone in real time over the course of like a week. And uh, at first I was, I was repulsed by the idea of shooting a movie on an iPhone vertically. But I came around because it's just a different way to tell a story. And in fact, this was sort of a thriller. And so we were, you know, there were scares. And when you, when you have this perspective, you can scare this way, you can scare this way, and it creates new opportunities to tell stories differently. And so I think as things evolve and innovate, you, you just find those new ways, those new formats that, that you know, if it's, a, if it's a TikTok, how do you tell a story in seven to 15 seconds? You know, if it's an Instagram reel, it's like a couple of minutes. Um, and, and each one of those are different kinds of storytelling. But I, I, to, to, to get to, you know, so I think with Pasture Pictures, we did a lot of commercials, um, but we also did a lot of documentaries. And, uh, and I think that the balance there is just commerce and passion. And, you know, when you can align those things, everybody, you know, that's, that's really the best place to be. Were you just running your own show this whole time? You got out of film school and you just started this company? I, I, I would swing from my own thing to uh, different levels of sustainability and growth. So, you know, I started Pasture Pictures right out of graduate school. I didn't know any better. I uh, was figuring out like legal Zoom and, uh, and, you know, really filmmaking is understanding accounting. It's understanding uh, contracts. It's understanding, uh, you know, hiring, firing. And, and as a result of that, it, it's really a microcosm of all business. And that it was really helpful to learn. It's not all the fun stuff necessarily. It depends what you're drawn to. but um, the reason I did it is because I wanted to make what I wanted to make. And it doesn't mean that everybody else wants to pay me to do that at first. So sometimes you just got to go out and do it. But I oscillated. I, I also ran production for a number of production companies. Um, and I would learn and grow and learn new things and get new insights and tell new stories. And then I'd go back out on my own and back and forth. Yeah. So speaking of, of learning new insights, I'm curious what you learned over the years. I imagine you're interacting with some of these large corporations when you're making these commercials. What have you learned from your interactions with these big conglomerates or big companies that are trying to promote their message? It's a really good question. I think there are, in the early days of branded content, uh, it was hard for brands to tell stories that weren't incorporating their brand. So uh, we were doing one for uh, a company, a gum, a gum company. And it, the original story was there was no gum in the, the advertisement uh, because it was a branded piece of content. It was about something else that they were sponsoring. But by the end of it, the, the gum was everywhere. Um, and I think that 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 has changed. Now I think brands really understand the value of being associated with content that is, you know, ostensibly connected to what they do, but at the very least it's mission aligned. And, uh, and I think the power of that is profound. So I think brands have evolved a lot since the early days. 
Yeah. I mean, it's a crazy market out there. It's always changing. People's desires are changing. All these new technologies come in. You've already mentioned the iPhone several times. I mean, I've pretty much grown up in the in the iPhone generation. Um, so yeah, let's get into what you're, what you're doing these days. I, I just wanted to get your general perspective on what I guess I'll call like the climate or environmental movement and how um, it involves millions of people and your perspective on this just in general. I, you know, I, I've, I've always been a conservationist at heart. Uh, you know, my, my mom and my mom's side of the family spent a lot of time in wilderness. And so as a very young kid, I was camping and climbing. And so I cared a lot about the environment itself. So that was a passion since the very early days. Um, and, you know, I grew up in Georgia and I learned about global warming, you know, in public school in third grade. You know, and this is like the mid 80s, you know, um, so it, there was an awareness about what was happening. And uh, and I, you know, cued into that right away. And so ultimately, I always wanted to tell environmental stories. But, you know, the Inorganic We Trust is a great example. You know, it's about agriculture, but it's also really about sustainability. And inherently, it is about climate change. Um, and you know, it, it's taken time to, to figure out exactly the way into that story. And the climate movement has evolved so much. And the way that I'm thinking about climate has evolved a lot, um, you know, because when I was doing Inorganic We Trust, there was a lot of conversations about GMOs and the dangers, potential dangers of GMOs and what those look like. And, you know, I think there's been such a shift in, in climate where uh, there are things that we need to do and have to do. Um, that might not be as idealistic, um, but is pragmatic that we need to do in order to, to help mitigate the, the oncoming crises. So what, what made you decide to shift your focus from using filmmaking to just drive general change to specifically now focusing all on climate change and climate action? So uh, I was running production at, uh, it's a mini studio. That means it's basically a production company, but they can finance projects. And that was where uh, I produced the Snapchat movie. Um, a, a few really prolific Hollywood director producers um, who are really cued into creating digital content. And um, my boss thought of this idea for 60 Second Docs. Um, and we started creating 60 Second Documentaries. And, you know, I was trying to drive them much more towards social issues and climate issues, and we were doing all sorts. And, and I think what's really interesting is just interesting human beings doing interesting things. And that's what 60 Second Docs was. But it was an experiment. And when we started, uh, you know, we were deficit financing these projects for as little as possible to just test the experiment. And when I left, you know, I'd, I'd overseen about 150 or 200 of those that have billions and billions of views. So when I left, I thought to myself, wow there's power in this short form storytelling and you can reach a massive audience. And my wife and I took a sabbatical. We both left our respective jobs. We rented out our house and we traveled around the world for a year. Whoa. And while we were on that, uh, we were building houses with Habitat for Humanity in Nepal and in China and thinking very much about what we wanted to do and the impact that we wanted to make. And, you know, that's where Peak was originally born. And, when I got back to the U.S., uh, I was talking to a couple friends um, who were deeper into climate tech, and I started learning about these companies and these innovations, and it they started to blow my mind and in a way where it was crystal clear that this is the way to talk about climate change. You know, the companies that have figured out a way to take carbon 
out of the atmosphere and make award-winning vodka. <laughs> yeah. You know, is that going to move the needle? Maybe, maybe not. But can it open people's eyes to recognize that carbon can actually be a resource? So we don't just take it out of the atmosphere and bury it, although we can do that. We can make things. We can make coffee cups. You know, we can make diamonds. Um, and just telling those stories, I think, can, can inspire folks to think about other ways that they can contribute. So that, that's really the point where peak uh, and, and focusing on the solutions that we're doing in the micro and the macro sense, things that we can be involved in, things that we aren't involved in but can watch and, and be really excited about. I think I love that perspective and I'll share a little bit more of my thoughts on that. But can you give like the, the mission statement of Peak, what exactly you do, how you operate, all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So the idea with Peak is uh, we want to change the conversation around climate change. Uh, we want to focus on solutions and what we can do. So we like to say that we are the opposite of doom scrolling. Um, and we know that people watch content because they want to learn and they want to be inspired. And we know that people want to do things in their daily lives. And you know, the hard thing with climate is there's a lot of folks that are nihilistic. You know, it's too big of a problem for me to move the needle, too big of a problem for me to make a difference. And I am super anxious about it, but I'm going to just not think about it. Um, and so what we want to do is say, that's not true. Um, you know, you can do a few things in your daily life. It's not your fault. Uh, this is this is not your fault. And the fact that you might not recycle well is not the reason we have climate change. Um, it is a systematic, much bigger, but we all have to come together uh, to affect that change um, because it will impact every single one of us. Um, and it already is. Yeah. So so what exactly is Peak producing to, to help that cause? So uh, we're starting with short form social content. Uh, right now we're creating, we have a series, it's called Next Now. It's a startup series where we are focusing on the innovative people behind the technologies uh, taking the human story as a way in to talk about the technologies. And, you know, we put out, uh, we're putting out one a week. Uh, we launched in, in October of Whoa. middle of October of 2021. And we have several million views across platforms and we're growing really rapidly. We're experimenting a lot on TikTok. We, you know, today, you know, we have over 40,000 uh, subscribers on TikTok and millions of views and, uh, and we're creating this series, but we're creating many more. And we're also using this series to experiment and pilot longer form projects. So we already have a, a, an unscripted television show that we're taking around. Um, we're going to do documentaries. We're going to do feature films. Um, we have a newsletter. And the idea is starting with the fast, uh, accessible content and, and trying to hit everybody in the platforms and where they are and the format that they're used to seeing. I'm really curious what your like financial model is to like scale this out. Everybody loves that question. It's an important question. Uh, so there's, there's, there's really two pieces of this puzzle for us. Um, one is we are also a commercial production company and agency. Um, obviously, I have a bunch of experience with that. Uh, we also found that the storytelling across the board uh, could use help. You know, everybody needs to tell stories. And so some of the stories that we can tell are not fit for our audience. They're not a documentary, it's a commercial. We're making a corporate commercial, we're making a recruiting video, whatever folks need, and those are white labeled. So a company or a, a nonprofit or an organization will pay us to create content and they'll distribute that content. That's one part of the business. The other part of the business is the owned content, the studio side, the new media company side. 
And on that side, we create content. You know, the documentaries that we're doing for the Next Now series are free for the companies. They don't pay a, a dime for them. And this is important because our stories need to have integrity. They need to have objectivity. And, um, and we're, we're not selling anything. We're, we're telling a story uh, that we want to be evergreen. So the way that business model works is uh, a lot of other new media companies, you know, audience growth will ultimately lead to advertising and brand sponsorships. We already have several brand sponsorships, again, where those brands are associated with the content, but their products do not appear in the content. Um, and, you know, we have a lot of discretion on who's involved in that. But this is really the beginning of something much bigger because climate is not a sector. It's not an industry, right? It is a lens that you can see everything. So it affects sports, it's food, it's, it's literally everything we do has to change. And, and, and so um, we see this as uh, we'd like to be a conduit to help people get jobs and transition their skills into climate. You know, maybe they didn't study engineering or science. Well, how can I take what I know and, and, and help? Uh, so we'd like to do that. We want to help that with capital. We want to help, you know, the companies that are scaling get customers. And, and so we really think we can be a business development company. I have no doubts. Are, are you familiar with like the theory of the why and on all of that Simon Sinek consulting stuff? Of course. So I'm a big believer in that idea and I communicate my business in that way. Why is mission? How is the way you go about propagating your mission and what you do is what you sell? And what I found really cool when I was looking up your company and watching all those videos is that we seem to have the exact same how. It's about elevating the voices of individuals and companies that are working on decarbonization and carbon removal. So what I'm really excited to ask you is obviously you understand how to communicate with people and make content that draws people in. Um, that I love that you mentioned that it's very human centered. That's why I love about this podcast is we can talk about a nonprofit or a company, but you're the founder. So we can see what the heart and soul of it is. And I think that's the best way to connect with people. But I'm wondering what you found is the most effective way to actually amplify the voices of people who are doing amazing work, because I'm going to ask you about doom scrolling after this. But it seems like positive news gets stomped out all the time. So I'm just wondering what you in your experience, what you found is the best way to like, bring in bring up the positive spread spread the love. You know, it's it's a great question. And it's, uh, it's one that we're still answering, to be honest, you know, I think we, we all know that fear works. It works really, really well. You know, you see it in local news. That's basically like where I think it, 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 it was tested the most. It's like, are you using this shampoo? Well, you might not realize the dangerous chemicals that are inside. Come back after the commercial. And, uh, and it's like, I do use that shampoo. You know, I have to watch and I got to come back. And then, you know, frankly, it, 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 it doesn't deliver on that. Um, and so at some point, it's frustrating to see things that don't deliver on that fear. Um, and so I think it's important to have an antidote to that. I think the alchemy to get people excited is, is what we just talked about. I saw you get excited when we started talking about taking CO2, turning it into ethanol and making award-winning vodka. That's cool. I can be at a barbecue and I can tell somebody that and it'll blow their mind and I can yeah. do it in a sentence. Well, what if I can show it to you? What if I show it to you and it's only a couple minutes long? Um, will you be excited? And then after that, is there something that you want to do in that moment? It can't be, I need to go do a beach cleanup in a week. You're never going to do it. There has to be an action that you can take in that moment when you have all that positive energy uh, and apply it. And we have a bunch of theories on 
what can be effective. But ultimately, we're going to be testing and learning. You know, the, the theory of change as, as it relates to content is we know commercials work. You see enough of something, you think differently about a brand, you buy something. What if you do the same thing, but about solutions? You know, what if you have so many pieces of content that you change the dialogue? So the idea is we won't even be able to necessarily track that we have been incredibly successful, but we'll know we're incredibly successful when there's a more sustainable world. Yeah, definitely. So one thing that I've noticed, and this is a very a recent trend, I try to pay attention to things that nobody else pays attention to as much as I can. And I've noticed that I walk around the grocery store, I go to the gym, and I see the TV, and there's flashy colors everywhere, and naked women, and people shooting guns, and all this stuff. And I realized that it's like you said, like commercials work. These these tools we have that that kind of commandeer the human brain and catch people's attention naturally always work. I just wanted to get your thoughts. And obviously you've worked in the industry. You've made, it sounds like hundreds, of dozens, if not hundreds of commercials. I just was wondering your thoughts on the more moral implications of using production methods like this. Like they've made people very, very rich. And I feel like it'd be really difficult for some guy to walk up in like a white shirt and be like smiling and trying to sell something compared to like the, um, the old spice guy on a horse with diamonds coming out of the, <laughs> the, the shampoo bottle. But I don't know. It just seems like I don't, it's something, it doesn't strikes a chord with me that doesn't, doesn't just seem right. And it's, it's like very America, sea of colors. What are you, what are your thoughts on that? Like moral implications? I mean, I think there's a couple different things there, right? I think one, you know, I, I was watching the Super Bowl with my mother-in-law and she was like, wow, these commercials are so good. Why aren't commercials always so good? And then she realized that she actually doesn't watch commercials anymore because, you know, everything's recorded, but the, the observation was about storytelling. You know, it wasn't about product. Um, and I think that commercials work w better when there's good storytelling and when there's, there's, there's uh, you know, uh, more alignment with the audience and the brand. And I think what we're seeing now is regulations are not requiring companies to have the, the responsibility that companies are starting to need themselves. And uh, it's a little chicken and the egg, and we can argue forever till we're blue in the face over why companies are making the change and choosing to make the change. Is it because they're doing the right thing, or is it because they think it's going to make them better with consumers? I don't care. Uh, to see corporate culture and companies evolve to think about sustainability is great. And so I, I haven't answered your questions entirely, but I think we're not taking the same tools that can work with scantily clad women and bright colors. We are taking the learnings of what appeals to people and how do you appeal to people? You know, Netflix worked meticulously before they produced their first ever show. They thought very hard, who's our audience? What's the kind of storytelling that's going to resonate with them? Who are the stars they're going to like? And we're going to make that first series. And they did. And it was a massive success. Um, House of Cards was the, the best way for them to make a splash and create original content. So we think about it the same way. And sometimes there's a reverse engineering. It says, okay, we know within, if we don't hook somebody in the first three seconds in a short video, then we lose our audience right away. And we can see what attrition looks like and we have access to a lot of data. So we can use that data to tell stories more effectively. But we also wanna be a leader. 
you know, this isn't all analytics. It's a little bit thinking, you know, what to your question about morality, like what feels right? What is our moral compass? You know, which is why we could take money from companies to produce the next now series. Um, but it doesn't, it's not, that is not, our stories won't have the same integrity. It's going to be very hard to make an argument to somebody that they would, if you're taking money from someone this way, it allows us to be objective. Yeah. And I was thinking, I think there's a difference between like the way you remember watching the Shawshank Redemption versus like Jackass three, where there's like explosions and donkeys, like kicking people in the face and stuff. And I think they both have their time and place, but like, again, yeah, that human emotional connection can't be beat. Um, can you elaborate on this idea of doom scrolling and your thoughts on how we can combat stuff like this? Cause we definitely live in this scrolling world. So it'd be great if we were, if we're going to use subliminal messaging and shove ideas into people's heads, it'd be great if it was like, Hey, you're the man, you're the best. Not like, I wish I could be like them, which is what we're kind of seeing now or like climate anxiety stuff as well. I, it's also a great question. So doom scrolling to me is, you know, going down that, that, that dark hole of things that are supposed to be aspirational, but ultimately make us feel bad. So, uh, that can be, uh, you know, beautiful people running around the, the, the most gorgeous places around the world. And we want to do that. And some, for some reason, instead of giving us positive feelings, it gives us negative feelings. Also, you know, we all get sucked into the Twitter sphere of, of all of the hate, the trolling, uh, things that make us angry. And we get in our own echo chambers around those things. And ultimately that is not creating any empathy and it's also not bringing us together at all. You know, the idea with peak is to be as apolitical as we can in our storytelling. It's hard to do when what we're talking about is become a political issue. Climate is something that impacts everybody, no matter what your socio-political economic situation is, it impacts you, it impacts your local communities. And so talking about it, from a solution perspective and talking about it from a local perspective that's relatable is the way to, to break through all of that mess. Um, and, and those are the human stories, right? You don't have to have a blue or a, a red letter at the end of your name. You're a person, you know, you need clean water. You're a person, your house flooded. You're a person, you know, the smoke is, is bad for your children. You know, what do you do in your own life? And so that what we're finding, which is really interesting, is we profile a lot of B2B companies, a lot of business to business companies. Um, that, that give those aspirational, inspiring stories and make you feel good. But just because you know this concrete company is sequestering carbon in their concrete, what do I do with that personally? Well, maybe I can use that for my house. But what we're finding is the B2C companies, so the consumer-facing companies, those stories are resonating even more. And we, it's really hard to balance that line of making it not a commercial. You know, are we selling those kelp chips? No, we're not selling the kelp chips. We're, we're selling the story of the human beings and the regeneration that kelp can do in the oceans and the sequestration that kelp does. But we are, you know, there are, there are kelp chips that are made from this thing. But we're finding those are the ones that people are most interested in. We did this one on this radiator cover in New York City. Basically, uh, you know, the, you're, you're from northern New Jersey. Yes, you know, sir. like the radiators, these oil-based devices that when they turn on in, in like November you just sweat out of your house and you open the window and all the heat escapes and it's just the least efficient way to heat anything. It doesn't make any sense. They figured out how to do a cover that goes over it, that regulates the heat and then stores the rest of the heat as energy is basically like a battery. Um, and that, that video, uh, the characters are incredibly compelling. The story is very compelling, but 
you know, making diamonds out of CO2 is a little sexier than like a radiator cover, but we found the radiator cover resonated and people shared that and people wanted to see that and people could relate to it and they wanted it, they wanted it in their homes. Yeah, I think that resonates more because for B2C, and this is another, I was speaking to someone yesterday when I cold, I cold call her about why I'm not in commercial real estate or institutional real estate because I'm interested in working with people one-on-one. And that I think that B2C stuff could be more popular because someone could actually see that product being used by themselves. One of the things I find really interesting about you, and I and I, I've just really... You, cool because I, I like I'm like on the same wave in so many ways this you're like interest in politics to begin with and then now your specific focus on being apolitical I just find very interesting I wonder if it's just because of the the state that politics is in right now I was thinking about this the, the other day or yesterday I, I think the difference for me is politics is about telling people what they can and can't do and business is about giving people alternatives that are obviously better. And I stand firmly in the camp of of freedom and allowing people the choice to to, to do something better without like imposing mandates on them. But that that's just me. Um, any any thoughts on like shifting trends in the narratives to promote these more positive ideas? Are we going? Is it constantly going to be like the negative stuff is going to be at the top, and then this positive stuff will kind of drip into your feed? Or is there a way we can kind of reverse the algorithm so we can get more positive stuff to be promoted and become the more of the norm? That is, it's that brutal, is a man. Big question. Yeah, it's a big question. I mean, look, I think. Capitalism is the driver right now, but we cannot do the transition that we need to do to a more sustainable world without policy. So the question is, how do you affect policy? And uh, can you do it on the inside? Do you have to do it from the outside? Is it grassroots? Is it mass appeal? Like, how is it? What is it? And and for us, you know, we're a, a cog in the system and it's focused on changing the conversation to accept the things that we know and to, to figure out the solutions we need. And we will need government. Uh, we will need regulation. We will need early investment in, in, you know, higher risk, uh, bigger scale products. Um, and so we're going to need it all. And, and I know you were asking a little bit about, well, how do you get out of the, how do you change the algorithm? And we're sort of getting to that in this larger conversation, which is to say, what is the role and we're not going to talk about it today, but what is the role of government in, in social media and content in general? And I think that uh, there is a role. Uh, I think we've seen, unfortunately, that there's been issues in, in a number of different platforms that have been um, really dangerous. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm thinking of YouTube for kids. I'm thinking of what, you know, I'll tell you that the stuff that, that happens on Facebook and Meta is is fascinating. You know, we, we try to target specific audiences and we get the opposite audience. And you ask yourself, well, why is that? Well, maybe the algorithm is pointing you towards the opposite audience because they want to create a dialogue that's more provocative because that's, that is the doom scrolling that we're talking about. So how do you combat doom scrolling? I mean, it's, it's a bigger question. I think that the data suggests that people really do want to learn and to be inspired. And we can tell that people also like to go down the wormhole of, of the things that, that upset us and hurt us. But you can do both. So I, I don't think that 
that it's all going to be hope scrolling. But I do think that there's a really important place for that. And if we can do it enough and we can appeal to enough people, we can change the conversation to be focused on that. And ultimately, that will then change the algorithm. So I'm not suggesting it's anything but a ridiculously steep uphill battle to do that. But I do know that people want both. Um, whether or not they, they say they do, they, they do because we can look at their habits. And what we're seeing right now on TikTok, for example, is the engagement we're getting on TikTok is higher than engagement I've seen on any social media platform for a decade. It's like early days, Facebook, early days, Instagram, uh, you know, and that is incredible. So that brings me hope to think that uh, ultimately we can, we can change that conversation. Whew. Keep it going, man. Uh, I love to hear it. And then I'm, I'd be down for hope scrolling. If you guys scroll through these podcast episodes, even I love discourse and, and having like a thoughtful disagreement, but I'm always going to spin it around and then laugh in the middle of the conversation because that's just the way I am. Um, one thing I did want to ask you is about how your climate anxiety has evolved through your journey to elevate those who are working on these problems. Because I'll tell you my personal experience. When I first started this podcast, I started by talking to climate scientists with knowing knowing nothing about climate change, basically. And right in between season one and two, like after the first 20 episodes, I was like shook by what was going on. And I was like feeling really bad. And this is very common. But then I just kept finding more people and more people who are doing amazing things exactly like what you're doing. And now I'm more optimistic than I've ever been. So I wanted to hear like a little bit about your journey through this. I wish it was binary. Yeah, it is not. Uh, yeah, I have waves. It's it's the deep anxiety never leaves. It's when I pay attention to it when I don't. Um, to be fair, you know, we we it's not just an existential issue. There's and I want to underscore there will be untold human suffering already. It's happening and it's going to happen. And it's unfortunately going to happen disproportionately to the people who, who can't get the solutions they need and didn't actually cause the problem. Um, that's deeply unfortunate. That is not a motivating feeling. That is not information that, that actually benefits my life. But it's important to know that. And that helps push me to be focused and mission focused that I need to do everything that I can personally to help mitigate those disasters for all people, uh, including my own family. Um, and so I would say that it os I, I oscillate back and forth. Um, and I accept that there will always be that anxiety. That's just going to be there. But what gets me out of bed and what keeps me going is the, the hope side, the, the side that I know that we engineered our way into this problem. And I know we can engineer our way out. There are people that are so much smarter than I am that are doing the most incredible things. Every day I talk to a new CEO that is doing something that is mind blowing. And it might take half an hour, an hour to explain to me what they're doing. And I still might not understand, but it brings me deep hope. So that's why it's like, you know, if you're going to binge, 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 binge a bunch of these, because when you see them in a holistic way, it, it gives you a much different feeling than if you see one in isolation. Man, what what you're doing is so cool. I'm I'm glad you've got a, a 501c3 set up. So it's like it's crazy. We're it's like I'm not sure what you do. You have like a mission statement for your company or or no? Oh yeah, what, yeah. What we, is it? You know, the mission itself is to accelerate the change to a sustainable world. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very, it's very gonna cool. be broad. 
But it's going to be broad because we're starting with this one series as a micro doc, and we are expanding rapidly into a lot of other things, and we're going to do everything we can to do that. Um, and you know, we 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 have core values, uh, and you know, we're actually doing a website. You know, hopefully this this is launched after the website, and, and people can go and they can see the updated. We have our values there. We want to be really transparent. We want to be able to communicate in a relatable way that we're not just a, a company name. We're actually a bunch of people that have come together. Um, and that's what this is. It is a community, you know, uh, I'm so glad that we were connected because I love what you're doing. Um, it's not just peak. Uh, it's, it's Ethan, it's, it's, it's podcasts. It's, it's, it's literally everything. And I think that what you're doing can be inspirational for people who want to do the same kind of thing because it won't be the same thing. It'll be complimentary because it's going to be them and their personality and the people they're connected to and their networks and so on and so forth. So, uh, we can all do something in this. Yeah, and I'm I'm big on the the collaborative mindset. I bring up like the Elon Musk model a lot, like giving away, like not patenting things and just kind of leaving it open source so people can come. Like if someone were to come in and start doing a similar thing with real estate and donate half of their money to like homeless people or like food, like I'd be like, cool. Like as long as the industry is get is improving from where it is now, like I feel happy. I'm not worried about competition. Well, Kip, it's it's really cool. It's been really cool having you on, on the show. Um, do you have any final pieces of advice for young people who are passionate about building a better world? Do it or find other people that are already doing it. You know, I think it was, you know, when I came out of college, like nobody told me, I knew what the jobs were available to me, you know, and I knew what people could make. I didn't really understand what lifestyle meant or how much you could have. But I think right now it's an opportunity to look at what people are doing um, that you want to do and go work for those people. Um, and, uh, and, and if you not start your own thing, uh, I am, you know, uh, I was raised where you have to really learn what you're doing before you do it. Uh, I don't feel entirely that way. I think experimentation is the way to go. I think we live in a world with remote work and digital resources and people can teach themselves almost anything. So definitely do what you're passionate about. And if you, if you want to do something in climate, man, you know, if you want to be hard tech or if you want to be soft tech, you know, you should go watch some of these videos. You should, there's a bunch of other great, uh, databases, uh, other communities, the, the, my climate journey community is really dynamic. Um, there's an on deck community. There's a bunch of different places, great resources. We'll be posting a bunch of this stuff on our website because we want to be a resource as much as possible. Yeah, and we need more people in this space. And it is exploding right now, which is so great to see. Uh, and so, Kip, th thank you for what you're doing, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. It's been a pleasure to, to hear your story. And it sounds yeah, like we're just can. getting started. I, I, You know, look, you said it, and I totally agree. Uh, we're, we're seeing a lot eye to eye, and uh, I think there's a lot more collaboration opportunities in the future. Um, love what you're doing. Thanks so much for, for having me today. Couldn't agree more. All right, everybody. See you soon. So if you or anyone else you know is looking to buy or sell a home anywhere in the USA and would like to create thousands of dollars in donations without any cost out of pocket, please visit ccrboulder.com today.